0: Hello and welcome to our Ackerman Center podcast, where we will explore Holocaust related topics during the time of our new virtual reality. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Valente, Visiting Assistant Professor of Holocaust Studies at the University of Texas at Dallas. My guest today is Dr. Niels Romer, he is Interim Dean of the University's School of Arts and Humanities the Stan and Barbara Rabin Professor of Holocaust Studies, and the Director of the Ackerman Center for Holocaust Studies.
1: Hello, Dr. Rumer. Hi, Dr. Valente. Welcome to our second episode. Thank you again for setting this up. This has been quite a bit of fun and a really good experience.
0: This week we have some very exciting programs lined up for the Ackerman Center. Today, we'll have your Spring Lecture. Would you like to talk to Great. us a little bit about
1: this? Great. Well, the, the, the Spring Lecture has been a traditional part of the Ackerman Center. Every spring, the faculty of the Ackerman Center delivers lectures. And in many ways, you know, for a young institution like ours, it's nice to hold on to those traditions. This year, being different, though, we were forced to move them to an online platform, and Professor Patterson delivered the first lecture, and I'm today giving the second one. Um, his one was on the history of anti-Semitism, and I will continue this conversation a little bit, but I'm moving it then in particular forward into the I, you know, reception of one of the major writings of, of German literature, Goethe's Faust, because this is the book that Juji Professor Ashwa, translated and that we are also performing now not any longer on stage, but as a radio performance on um, April 26th. And so my lecture, so to speak, is standing between the actual performance and the, the previous lecture as a way of kind of crossing the, the, the kind of two different points and moving us into the 1930s also, and into the questions of the Nazis and the reappropriation of German culture. This leads us right into
0: the Yom HaShoah commemoration that we have coming up on Tuesday as well. Every year we have done some type of commemoration and so this year we're also doing it a little
1: slightly different would you like to tell us how we're doing it this year well you know let me first of all because both of these this spring lectures the theater performance and then also the Yom Asho, the Holocaust Remembrance Day they kind of you know speak to particular aspects of what the Ackerman Center is mm-hmm. so the Holocaust Remembrance Day we have now for a number of years honored in, in the ways in which we've um, recited Holocaust poems, but Holocaust poems largely translated by us and our students and staff into their respective languages. And so translation and translation studies in the the wider sense has always been part of the Ackerman Center, both in the technical sense of translating things from one language into another. This is part also very much of what uh, Professor Ashward has for many, many years worked on, where uh, part of her career has been built on translating from German, from Hungary um, into English, but then also translating on ideas across different cultures. And I think that's, you know, in a wider sense nowadays where much of the Holocaust education and, and teaching and research rests also with us, that it's in the realm of translating in a historical experience into our 21st century and keeping it relevant to our contemporary issues and questions.
0: Very good. And I'm actually really excited. This year, we have um, about um, twelve languages that we have all translated Miklos Radnoti's poem, "Letter to My Wife," into, and so we'll be showcasing that on Tuesday as well. And we invite everyone to join us uh, for that occasion.
1: And it, you know, I'm sorry, just if I can add on uh, the the yes. part that I always enjoy about this as as well is that when you remember or you commemorate something, then it's partly about the you know, the historical event that you recall, in this case, the Holocaust. But it's also very much about the process of remembrance and who remembers. And so I think insofar as we remember it in in all of our languages, we also indicate that the community of, of those that remember has become far wider and more inclusive than it ever has been.
0: And so now we should start moving into the direction of the PBS series World on Fire. The second episode, uh, very quickly, is bringing us to a month into the war in Warsaw. The city is completely destroyed. We see our individual characters that we're following. One is looking for news, the other is trying to find a way. Cassia herself is literally caught up between fire as the Germans are overtaking Warsaw. And we see this incredible speed of change that these things are happening, how it's happening. And and very quickly, almost overnight, we see the life and grief and death and all of these things are really turning the world upside down for these individual citizens of, of Poland at this moment. And I think that as we are watching the first episode and now the second episode, as the viewers, we're thrown into 1939, right? We see that's the moment where it starts. But I think it would be interesting to address the historical moments that actually precede this moment the early years, how is it that we get to this point in 1939?
1: You know, it is obviously always kind of curious question, at which point do you actually start to tell the story? Where does the story actually begin? So where respectively does the story of the Second World War begin? And then we have to consider who tells the story. So this is initially a British production. Um, that is produced, you know, initially for the British audiences, slash also for the Americans. So quite tellingly, it really starts quite late in a way. It starts really as Europe is descending into war, on just on the cusp of Germany's attack on Poland, while everything that, that preceded it is left out. And those are the things that, that, in our minds, obviously are really significant. So for starters, you can highlight. The collapse of the Weimar Republic, Hitler coming to power in 1933. Then you could highlight the various stages and the anti Jewish policies and measures and forms of intimidation and harassment that are culminating in the November pogrom or the Night of Broken Glasses in 1938 and the physical violence and the kind of mass migration that goes along with it. But if you want to stick it out more with the kind of story of war then I think you can also look at it and go back again to 33 and say here's a moment where Hitler comes to to power and builds up an army in violation of the Treaty of Versailles without being held accountable where in 1935 he's able to annex again reannex the Saarland that had been occupied by France and who and this is the really more painful moment which I think is tellingly left out of the prehistory where in 1938 the European leaders come together in Europe and in Munich to concede one more time to Hitler the right to annex certain parts of the Czech Republic and this is this high moment of appeasement where Chamberlain returns and says we saved peace today Uh, which then obviously will all very quickly be proven wrong but it's tellingly left out of their movie because to this day this is a painful memory in many ways and the question remains whether maybe more could have been done if the allies would have confronted earlier on more decisively Hitler Germany whether that would have you know, made it more difficult for Hitler to build up this power and momentum so therefore what by what it's left out there's also quite a bit of conflict left out a potential conflict.
0: And I think one of the the moments in this episode that this becomes, I think, quite clear is if we follow the character of the American journalist played by Helen Hunt, uh, Nancy Campbell character, right? Right. Where she is, by this episode, she has moved back to Berlin. She is um, working in the, the American Radio Broadcast. And she is acting in direct conflict to the Nazi officer who is overseeing her work. So we see already a lot of the censorship that's going into the material that she's reading. And yet she's trying to add in words to get out um, the message to the United States of the aggression that has occurred in Warsaw. And at that moment, she confronts him and she says, the world will know about this, um, the treatment of the Jews as it's happening and then he very simply puts it and he says the Jewish question is a matter of national security and so this I think is one of these moments where of course the series is, is like you said focusing more on the British coming into the war and focusing on that history but I think it's interesting for us to see how the U.S. involvement or lack thereof is already quite obvious or quite um, clear from the the character of Nancy and, and the way that she's trying to Herself confront the situation as she sees it, you know, happening and developing.
1: This is a really good point. She's sitting in lots of ways, really, there in her office, reporting to the wider American public what she's observed. But at the same time, she had to adhere to the standards, and that is to to oblige, so to speak, um, in not being critical of Nazi Germany, because right. the, the the position of of the United States at this moment. Uh, requires actually her to take a neutral stand and not to be overtly critical of something that is deemed largely to be of internal significance. And that had been the American position in many ways. I mean, very famously, the production codes of the 1930s instructed filmmakers, the Warner Brothers and the likes, not to make anything that overtly would have been anti-German because that would have you know, been in, in violation of that set neutrality. So it's a really complicated moral position that all of a sudden Nancy Campbell or Helen Hunt, respectively, who's playing it, um, is is in there. On the one side, she has the the knowledge of the violence that is occurring, but at the same time, she's only so far able to actually say it. So she cannot be a full witness to actually what she has been observing. So it's a it's a really um, kind of frustrating moment for her and and and, and it's generally speaking I think for us at this moment as viewers we're still frustrated because we are otherwise still largely in search of heroes. And exactly. um you know thus far the men proved to be not particularly good candidates. Um Cassia however right Cassia, however, the, the female She's characters there, are f- she is the star but and so is Nancy in other ways. So the female characters are the ones with far more moral integrity and courage than the male characters. But let me just come back to just the other moment that I find also interesting in all of this. Now, the movie is about the war. Um, but insofar as one writes, talks about the war, the question is always, where is the Holocaust in the war? And I think that's, you know, kind of curious as of now, We've had two very very quick moments in, in this last segment where individual Jews in the harassment in a public street scene was depicted, but they are only really depicted as victims of violence. They never have a voice. They don't speak about what is happening to them, and they're so to speak just part of the larger, you know, stage of of havoc, and destruction, and violence and suffering. But as of now, uh, two shows in, there hasn't been really any clearer sense of how relevant or central the Holocaust itself is to the war that the Third Reich is bringing across Europe.
0: That's a very good point. And I think when we look at um, the history of when we could say when the Holocaust begins, and that, that was part partly the question that I was asking at the beginning of the segment, by nineteen thirty-eight, for example, one in four German Jews had already left Germany. So there is a mass migration that has occurred prior to this moment, right? The the many anti Jewish measures that had taken place, and as soon as the Nazis would be occupying and annexing these other places, those same laws are now applying to the Jewish citizens of these countries. Right. So I think that this is something that is largely kept out. Mm-hmm. Um, of the of the of the show for whatever reason. We'll see how it develops over time. Mm-hmm. It will be interesting to see if it actually picks up on this and makes the distinctions of the violence of war against the Poles versus the the, the eradication yeah. of
1: the Jews of Poland, for example. No, very, very true. One maybe our other last you know observation that I was intrigued by by the last episode it focuses on these separate and very distinct individuals and their respective experiences. But insofar as the kind of camera is forced into the back and forth of, you know, Warsaw, Berlin, um, and then Manchester, it has to kind of, you know, relate these events to these individual stories to each other. And I thought in episode two, the camera was brilliantly sometimes blurring the differences and so far as the color coding on both sides seemed to almost be the same so that these stories were bleeding more into each other. They were both distinct, but also part of a larger, bigger story. And I thought how brilliantly a camera can do this and how difficult it would be for us in our historical you know, narratives to convey how these lines of distinct experiences and similarities can kind of be so fluid. Um, So I thought that was just a really clever touch in terms of how the camera handled those. And then there will be a more again tonight at 8 p.m., the third episode, bringing us even further into the Second World War with, I think, now the Third Reich attacking France and occupying Paris. Another big um, moment in the opening part of the Second World War. Thank you, Dr. Romer. Thank you, Dr. Valente. Thank you very much again for setting this up. We look forward to next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Ackerman Center or on our website at utdallas.edu forward slash Ackerman. Until next Sunday. Today's episode was produced, edited, and engineered by Sarah Valente.